Hey, Playmakers, real quick before we get into today's episode, if you're one of those listeners that just cannot wait for that next episode to drop, and if you're over on YouTube and my website binging my content there, I just wanted to say thank you. It means the world to me. But just remember, the free stuff will only get you so far. So if you want my complete proven blueprint for opening a successful and sustainable play cafe or indoor playground business that is profitable from day one, I want to invite you to join me inside my signature course, Play Cafe Academy. Head to the show notes right now to get instant on-demand access to all 12 modules, your detailed pre-launch checklist, your 34-page business plan template, your plug-and-play financial model to help you estimate your startup costs and project your revenue, and everything you need to save time, money, and frustration throughout your entire opening process. For a limited time right now, you'll also get an entire month of free access to Playmaker Society, my invite-only membership created exclusively for Play Cafe Academy students who want to work with me personally to optimize and scale their businesses through coaching, guest experts, legal and operations templates, and plug-and-play resources, plus collaboration with over 220 other owners, plus so much more. Head to the show notes and choose your preferred way to pay in full or over time right now. You'll get more information on the current bonuses. You'll see some success stories of those who have gone before you and exactly what to expect when you join us inside the program. I will see you there. If you're in the play and party business and you want to operate with more ease and joy, all while making the living you dreamed of, I created the Profitable Play Podcast just for you. Join me, your host, Michelle Caruana, for Small But Mighty Tips Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays that will all add up to a big impact on your mindset, your business, and your bottom line. Stick with me to keep the passion and grow the profit in your play or party-based business. Hey, Playmakers. Welcome back. It's me, your host, Michelle Caruana. And we are going to dive right into today's episode. A lot of you guys know I'm located in Western New York, and we have just gotten some absolutely treacherous weather over this last week between the wind and the crazy snow happening right outside my window. It honestly feels like we haven't had internet and power more than we have had internet and power. So between my neighbor who feels the need to constantly snow plow outside of my office window and my kids who are going crazy without internet and power, it's just been one of those weeks. But I feel so lucky that I'm able to sit down and record this for you here today. I'm feeling very blessed, a little bit overwhelmed, but again, we're just going to dive right into this episode. And real quick, I do appreciate all of the really sweet messages that I've gotten from so many of you over on Instagram, checking on me, checking how I'm doing, checking to see how I feel about the Bills game being moved. Right now I'm recording this on Sunday and it was supposed to be happening right now. It's obviously not happening. It got moved and it's still just been such a nightmare weather-wise. So we're going to see what happens. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, as this episode actually gets released on Wednesday, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. So again, I really appreciate all of the nice messages. But anyways, let's get into it. So something you've likely heard me say several times on this podcast, especially if you've been listening for a while, is that whenever I ask indoor playground owners who are currently in the thick of it operating their businesses, what the most shocking thing to them was about this industry in general since they've opened, So many owners point to the time, energy, and effort that it takes to hire, train, motivate, and retain a quality group of team members. And I personally can absolutely relate to that. I came into the indoor playground industry from a business and marketing background, and I was so excited to spend my days creating content and coming up with really creative events and class ideas and ways to share those fun opportunities with my customers. And of course, I dreamed of, you know, fun, carefree days behind the counter and inside the play area with my own kiddos. But the reality often looked a lot different. Most times, team issues that arise, whether it's someone quitting or someone calling in sick or someone bringing an issue to your attention, whether it's about someone else on the team or a customer or 
a question about something that's coming up or a piece of equipment or whatever the case may be. These team issues are generally urgent and they're going to pull you away from whatever your focus is or whatever you're spending your time and energy on, especially if you don't have a manager. And spoiler alert, many of the issues do not have simple or straightforward solutions. And even when everything is, you know, a-okay with your team, as a business owner, you're likely still kept awake at night with questions like, Am I taking care of my team enough? Are they happy with their pay? Or are they on Indeed right now looking for another job? Or how am I going to figure out how to have that tough conversation with so-and-so on the team? Or how am I going to figure out how X and Y get done instead of just Z? And so on. It is truly just endless. And everyone that's listening right now that is a current indoor playground owner, I can literally feel you nodding your head because it truly is such a difficult aspect of running this business and it's often grossly underestimated by people who are just getting started or just getting to their opening day. And this is one of the reasons I feel so grateful to have the Playmaker Society community that I've created. And if you're new here, Playmaker Society is my membership for current indoor playground owners. And you can learn more about my signature course, Play Cafe Academy, or my membership, Playmaker Society, in the show notes of this episode. But team management is one of the most common topics in the group. So people are constantly posting, you know, gosh, I have this employee that does X. What should I do or how should I handle this? Or there was this customer confrontation today. How should my employee have handled this? Or, you know, gosh, I'm really having trouble hiring for this position. Can you look at my wording? Or, you know, there are just endless posts every single week about hiring and maintaining a quality team. So again, if you're struggling with this, you are not alone. It is so common, and this is absolutely something I struggled with, even as somebody who had owned businesses before and who went to business school and knew all of the right things to do on paper. It is such a real struggle when you are in the thick of it and actually operating a real-life business and not just reading out of a business textbook. So again, if this is something that you're really spending too much time and energy on, you are not alone. And while having a team comes with its challenges, I still wholeheartedly feel and honestly know in my heart that your business will never reach its full potential if you try doing everything all on your own, right? If you try to wear all the hats in your business, even if you're doing a really great job, you need to delegate and you need people to help you, again, reach that full potential. So today, I have a very special guest expert for you to hopefully help you ease some of that burden and navigate these tricky team-related issues with more confidence and know-how. And most importantly, really ignite your team to get excited about serving your customers and growing your business alongside you. Today, I'm sharing a conversation that I recently had with Amy Pearl, the founder of Work Ignited. And Amy helps human resource and business leaders use assessments and development tools to build better relationships and create workplaces they love. And she works with some big names like Wegmans Food Markets, who happens to be the company that I used to work for, Barilla, M&T Bank, and many more. And in this conversation, we're going to cover things like how do we as owners know when it's time to hire or expand our team? And what sorts of things can I outsource? And more importantly, how? And what steps can a business owner take to build a successful team and keep them motivated and keep them happy? And we will be getting really detailed and sharing some real-life examples that I think will really help and that I think you'll relate to. So I'm very excited for you to hear this today. And I have linked all of Amy's information in the show notes because I know after you listen to this conversation, you're going to want to learn more about her and you're going to want to learn more from her. And I've also linked the offer that she's going to discuss more at the end of the episode. All right, here is my conversation with Work Ignited founder, Amy Pearl. Hi, Amy. Thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, I'm happy to be here. All right, this is a really fun topic, but before we get into it, do you want to quickly introduce yourself and let us know who you are and who you serve? 
Yeah, absolutely. My name is Amy Pearl, and I own a company called Work Ignited, and I work with leaders um, from really around the world. Some are in great big companies like uh, Caterp Caterpillar Equipment or Wegmans or Barilla Pasta, and some are in not-for-profit organizations. Some are entrepreneurs, even one-person shows um, trying to run their business, and my goal is to help them to feel ignited in what they do every day and to ignite their teams and to ignite their workplace places to really create great places to work for, for everyone. Awesome. So just to dive right in, one of the big, I guess, objections that a lot of people listening to this interview might have is, you know, they want to run the whole show themselves, or, you know, they have this mental barrier against hiring. So can you talk a little bit about how we as entrepreneurs know when it might be time to hire? We'll start there. Yes, absolutely. And let me first start by saying I know completely how you feel because I am an entrepreneur as well. Um, at one point, I had a team of about 10 people, and I actually felt that was too much for me, too many people. It just wasn't my thing. And now I actually run my business with one person full-time, and I have two external groups that I partner with to do some special things. So I totally get it, trying to find that right balance of how big of a team do I want, how much can I do myself, it's a really tough decision, but I found that at different points in my life, if I just focused on three things, it always told me, do I need more people? Do I need fewer people? Do I need different people? One is productivity. If I felt myself or heard myself saying, I wish I had more time to do X, I knew that it, I wasn't as productive as I could be and I needed people to help me. So thinking about your own personal productivity. If you're just running out of time, that could be a sign that it's time to bring someone on. The second is people. If there are people in your life saying to you, I wish you had more time for me, whether that's your life partner or your kids or even people that you're working with today, I wish you had more time for me. That's a sign that's that's saying, okay, I'm putting way too much time into my job and maybe shortchanging some of those important relationships in my life. And the third is your personal wellness. If you hear yourself saying, I wish I was more, so I wish I was more healthy. I wish I had more hobbies. I wish I had more in my life, right? That's a sign that it's time to hire someone else. So if you find yourself wishing for more time because you're not as productive as you can be, or other people in your life are telling you that they wish that you had more time for them, or if you just knew like my personal wellness is at stake because I am dedicating my entire life to my business that I'm very passionate about and I love, but I know I've like tipped the scale to too far. Those are all signs that you need to expand your team. Awesome. And I love that you brought up the personal life as well and the personal wellness, because especially as brick and mortar business owners, you know, our businesses are very physically demanding to us more so than an online business might be. And a lot of times we let our physical health, our personal relationships kind of go to the wayside. And we think of our businesses in this silo and it's really not. So I love to hear that you're kind of grouping in all of those different factors in determining when you should hire for your business, because it really isn't just a business decision. So I love thinking about it that way. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about when you might want to hire somebody as a team member versus a contractor, because I know you had experience with both, as you mentioned. I do. And, um, I, you know, I think, first of all, it, it depends on what you need to have done. So I think a great place to start is by making a list of what you love to do and how you like to spend your time. If you love to spend your time with your, I'll call them customers, right? If you like to be the face of your business with the people you serve, then that's what you should be. You shouldn't be spending a whole lot of your time doing bookkeeping or creating social media posts, right? Now you could be someone like me. I do lots of training and coaching for people. I love to sit here in my little office developing content. Like that's just like my dream day would be building content all day long. So you think about what is it that I, I don't enjoy doing 
or that I don't find is really fulfilling for me. And then you think about who is the best person to do that. And I sometimes find like for some of these things, there are some really good companies or people out there that outsource this kind of stuff where they can be bringing you ideas and they could be educating you about how things should be done. So I think in some respects, you know, you might find that there are certain aspects of your business that are really easy to outsource. Like I think marketing is one. There are tons of people that are really good, whether it's social media or more traditional marketing, that's what they do for a living and they want to do it as their own, being their own entrepreneurs. And so building those kinds of relationships is really important. There are other people that you might want working for you, specifically as employees. I like to think about those folks as people that are going to connect with our customers. So in my case, um, one of the things that we do is we do a lot of different assessments, you know, somewhere along the way, some of your folks might've done uh, DISC or Myers-Briggs. We do those things with our clients. The people that I have working for me and I've had working for me over the years were like direct service providers because I just felt like that really needed to be done by our team. But, you know, you can think about what's important for your own business, but there definitely is an opportunity to use external third parties to gain a lot of ground. I also think it takes away a lot of the headaches associated with actually employing people because there's a whole set of dynamics that comes in when you now have to be the human resources manager for your organization. And there's so many independent people out there that do great work. It, it makes for a really, um, I think, no-nonsense, cut-and-dry kind of relationship. But for me, when it came to working with my clients, those are people that I wanted to be working for me directly so we could completely control that experience. I'm so glad that you brought that up. And it's funny, I actually recently had Emily Reagan on the podcast yeah. on my YouTube channel, and we talked a lot about what a virtual assistant can legally do versus what an employee can do. And it kind of ties right together. So I'm going to link her interview in the show notes or in the video description, depending on whether you're watching or listening as well. But just as you said, there's only so much control you can have over somebody who isn't an actual payroll employee. So it's a really good distinction that anyone that is, you know, interfacing with your customers directly, you want to have control over their training, over where they're going to be performing their tasks, over what technology they're using, what their processes look like. So I think that's a really great yes, distinction. Yes. And, and Emily is an excellent source. So if you're just dipping your toe in the water, like, I think I want to hire someone, but I, I don't want to make that full investment. I don't even know where to look. I know it can be... Um, really challenging to try to just hire somebody outright. And when you can work through somebody like Emily or yourself, where you know people and, and people in your field can introduce you to other people, where you know they kind of come with a built-in reference, it can give you a bit of peace of mind there. But also talk to your attorney because there are very specific requirements as to whom you can you know, really use and how you can use an external contractor. Um, where it actually becomes more of an employment relationship. Yeah. So thank you for that reminder. That is definitely something that we want to keep in mind. Yeah, we don't but want to get in trouble. Exactly. That's that's one area of business that you do not want to DIY. You do not want to mess with. You want to make sure that you're complicit with all of your, you know, state and national standards. And something that I found is I was actually shocked at how different different states are. So, yep. you know, oftentimes I would reach out to another Play Cafe owner just, you know, eight hours away, but maybe in a different state. And the standards that she had to uphold were completely different from the ones that I would have to uphold. So a yeah. lot of times we think that, oh, they're in the same industry. She's able to give me advice. But that's one of the reasons why I never give employment related advice directly. I always say, here's what worked for me. Here's what works for my students. But please consult a local attorney because yeah. it is so different state to state. So yeah. thank you for that reminder. You know, kind of an offshoot. This wasn't on our list to talk about at all today, but um, some of your listeners might not be aware that there are organizations out there that are um, like professional employment organizations, PEOs. And it's like an employee leasing arrangement where basically you hire people, you make the decisions, you manage them, you can let them go if they're not working out, but they're like your partner in that. And so 
technically the people work for them. So they provide benefits, they do all your payroll, they provide HR consulting for you. Um, they handle all of the like administrative aspects of the human resources function. It is a little bit pricey, but boy, it might be worth like not having the headaches associated with running that aspect of your business, especially if you're just hiring, you know, three people or something like that, where like, you don't want to set up a whole HR system for that. You can work with these professional employment organizations. And, and it, it again, it, it's all looks like they're working for you. They don't, you know, mistake. It's not like a temp agency or that kind of thing, but they just have um, like easy administrative burden. That's really nice because something that I, I hear all the time in my membership for play cafe owners is you know, one of the, my favorite things to ask is what's one thing that, you know, shocked you about going into this industry and nine times out of 10, it's, I didn't know how much time I would have to spend managing a team or, yes. you know, things along that route. A lot of people go into this business, assuming that all their time is going to be spent marketing, all their time is going to be spent with customers, but really it's so much of your behind the scenes time and energy is going to be managing your team. So even though it might be a little bit more expensive than hiring someone on your own outright, just relieving all of that time and, you know, not to downplay the mental burden that it really takes to be a manager is to me, that's invaluable. And that was for me, it's not in my personality trait to be a manager. So that's something that I would have gladly offloaded if, you know, I had the opportunity. So I didn't realize that that was an option when I was running my business. So it's yeah. so great to know that that's out there. So listen, I'll tell you a totally unrelated, you know, industry. I work with a lot of physicians who have their own practices. And, you know, when physicians aren't treating patients, they're not making any money, right? But they all feel like they have to lead their business. And physicians, when it comes to personality traits, especially if they're surgeons, a lot of times they don't even really like people. Like, I want to just, you know, I want to take care of my patients in this quiet operating room, that kind of thing, right? And I say to them over and over again, you know, you don't have to be the leader in your business. You can be the practicing physician. In fact, you might be a lot happier just doing that job and hire someone to run your business for you. And you might even find, you know, your listeners might even find that there are certain aspects of entrepreneurship that they love but running the day-to-day -day operations is not their favorite thing to do. And maybe that's the person that they need to hire, especially if you have a couple of locations, that kind of thing, where now, you know, your leadership responsibilities are much broader. Maybe you need someone to help on the leadership side. And, you know, whether you're working in a, a job or you own your own business, a lot of times it's your technical skills that allow you to be successful in what you're doing. So I kind of get promoted at work because I was really good technically, or you have a, you know, you're really good at running a play center. And so like, I've, I now have four of them and they're all doing really well, but you now have to be a leader and it's a different kind of job. Some people are wired to do it. Some people aren't. Um, but if, you know, I think you have to recognize that if you're the owner of the business, people are looking to you for leadership characteristics. And that's, um, you know, you always have to keep that in mind, even if you have someone that's working for you, that's like your chief operating officer, someone that you hire like that. Yeah, absolutely. So let's take a step back. But I think that's a really, really great point, especially because a lot of people listening are now starting to think about expansion and licensing and franchising. And I always tell people, you know, don't think that you're going to be able to run all of your locations and be the person running your licensing operation, your franchising operation yourself. So I think that's a great point to make. But let's kind of take a step back to the people who are still kind of just making their first couple hires who maybe yeah. aren't ready to take that step yet. What are some tips that you might have for those people who maybe have one or two people and they're really looking to build that successful team? What are some ways that they can go about making sure that everyone fits together and making sure their business operations run smoothly? Yes. Well, you know, I think you have to start by looking in the mirror because there are usually some common characteristics among entrepreneurs that um, help them to be successful, but can also get in their way. So um, there's three that we can talk about today. The first is perfectionism. I know that when, you know, you're, I always tell my, my clients, like your name is on the building, right? Your name is the name on this business. 
that you know you have very high standards for your business. And perfectionism is actually a personality trait. And people don't recognize that. Like some of us are just naturally 120% kind of people. We're going to do things that are over the top. Even if we're going to waste time, money, and resources, it's going to be spectacular because I have these very, very high standards. There are some people that are 100% people. Like they just want things to be right. And then there are people that are 80% people, and they're not necessarily bad people, but they like to pilot things, test them. They sort of have this philosophy that we'll just fix it as we go. And if you're the 120%er and you've hired somebody that's kind of an 80%er by nature, you will be frustrated all of the time. And honestly, if you're a 120%er perfectionist and you've hired a 100% person who probably does things right, you still might be disappointed. Now, I don't want you to lower your standards at all, but you have to think about, am I putting in good systems to set expectations for people in a way that it's painfully clear exactly what you want things, how you want things to be done or what you want things to be look like. And uh, if you're, um, if you are a perfectionist, a lot of times what you don't realize is that like, you know, 90% of the population doesn't operate in your zone of thinking. So you're not going to lower your standards, but you've got to triply communicate them and make them very visual for people, very clear for people. So, you know, you might have some things in your play center that you want set up a certain way. If I were you, I would set them up I would take a picture of it and I would post that picture. So people who are working for you, like on the weekends, when you're trying to enjoy your day off, they can look at the picture and be like, oh, that's what she wants it to look like. You could even take like do's and don'ts photos. Like it shouldn't look like this. It should look like that because some people don't know what wrong looks like either, right? So to be really, really clear in what it looks like to be on track, what it looks like to be off track and and you might even have expectations about how you want people to interact with your customers. What things should we say? What things shouldn't we say? Um, even, you know, how do you respond to frequently asked questions? What's our standard response? If you don't define those things for people, you're leaving it to chance that they're going to have the same vision in your mind that, that you have. And then the best way to get people to achieve those standards that you have is to catch them doing it right. And sure, you can have, you know, rewards that you offer people, you know, a movie ticket or a, you know, a, a coffee gift card, whatever it might be. But sometimes it's just that pat on the back and letting them know specifically what they've done well. And what a lot of leaders fail to recognize is that, People generally need positive feedback every seven days. On average, every seven days, people need to hear something they're doing well. Now, that means, you know, on average, seven days, there might be some people who can get away with 10 or 12 days, but there are some people that need feedback like every single day. And that doesn't always come naturally to us, especially if we have those high standards. We think, well, you know, they should be doing this. This is what I pay them for. Mm-mm. You got to kill them with kindness and celebrate those things that they're doing well. And that keeps them on a positive path. And then the other problem I find, you know, is that with my perfectionist leaders is that sometimes people don't meet their expectations, but they're kind of chicken. They don't want to have that conversation to let someone know they've fallen off track. But if you do a good job of being really clear about the expectations then it's really easy to have that conversation. I would just say, hey, the picture on the wall shows it should be set up like this. Or you know a customer conversation should sound like this. What just happened is something different. Kind of fill in the blank. And then just ask, how can we keep this from happening again? So, you know, here's the expectation. Here's what I just saw. How can we keep this from happening again? Now it becomes this sort of problem solving where you're treating that person as an adult, even if they're a young person, and we've got these shared expectations. They're hard to make, hard to meet. So how how do we, you know, when we fall off track, how do we work together to close that gap? So perfectionism is sometimes something that um, kind of gets in the way of leaders building strong teams, unless they're really good at setting those expectations celebrating successes, and then helping someone when they get off track.
So that's just one of the traits. Do you want me to tell you about the other two? Yeah, definitely. Because I mean, that one just spoke right into my soul because I'm a perfectionist. And it's funny, I think a lot of people listening are perfectionists as well, because a lot of the reasons, you know, when I ask people, why did you open your play space? A lot of what I get is, well, you know, there's three other places in the area, but they're not exactly how I want them. They're not as good. Exactly. So I think a lot of people will relate to that, but let's go for the other two as well. Yes. Yes. Well, you know, I think the key is to kind of keep thinking like no one's going to love your business as much as you love your business. So you have to keep working with them to raise them to your level of expectations. Um, and not in a micromanagey way, because that, that becomes this fine line you need to walk. Like you don't, you know, want to look like you're someone who's just like, I only want, want things my way. But the second personality trait besides perfectionism that I see sometimes get entrepreneurs into trouble is trust. And people don't think about trust being a personality trait, but it absolutely is. There are some people that are just super trusting by nature. Often entrepreneurs are a bit more skeptical. Um, They don't trust people as as easily as as others do. And that gets in the way, Um, especially when it comes to delegation. Like if I don't trust someone, I'm not going to be able to delegate and I end up doing everything myself, then my productivity suffers, my personal relationships suffer, my personal wellness suffers, right? It all comes back to why did I want to hire someone to begin with? Well, now I've got to have the trust to let them do their work. So there's usually five things that create a trusting relationship. And so if you're listening, like grab a pen and jot these things down. One is I need to believe somebody is competent, Like, I'm not going to delegate to them if I don't think they have the knowledge and skills to do the job. The second is reliability, right? If they've let me down, I can't really count on them. And now I'm going to be nervous about delegating to them. One is openness. Like, do I feel like I can have an open conversation with this person? Or am I kind of like, you know, I don't feel they're open with me. Or when we do have an open conversation, they break down and cry. And then what do I do right now? So now I can't trust them. One is fairness. Do I think they're treating me fairly or do they kind of have a hidden agenda? And the fifth is caring. Do they care um, about my priorities? And do they even like consider my well-being before making decisions? If I don't think someone is competent or reliable or open or treat me fairly or that they're caring, that trust is going to be, you know, lacking in my mind and it's going to keep me from being a strong leader. So sometimes people, lots of times really, when I'm working with leaders, they'll be like, delegation is my number one problem. And I'll be like, you really don't have a problem delegating. Delegating is easy. You have a trust problem. That's what's getting in your way. So if you find like you can't delegate to someone, then you've got to kind of look at those five factors and figure out which one is missing. And how do I fix that? Do I need to have, um, you know, some training for people so that they develop the skills to do the job? Do I need to create, uh, go back to our performance management expectations and that sort of thing so that people are set up to be reliable? Do I need to create a culture of openness so we can have good conversations, right? All those kinds of things. And that caring one, honestly, is often the trickiest one. Goes back to what I said earlier. Often people don't care about your business as much as you do. But I find that if you show that you care about what's important to them, they will come around and start to care about what's important to you. It has to be kind of mutual there. But once you have that trust, delegation is a lot easier. And, and you know, the other aspects of allowing them to run with your business, you'll have confidence in them. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's also kind of as a perfectionist, trust and control is something that I absolutely struggle with as well. So yeah, I relate to that too. And you know, if you're looking for a quick, um, like I know I need to delegate, I just don't know the mechanics. Like I want to make sure I do it really well. I always encourage people to think about um, the word edge, E-D-G-E. So if I have to delegate to someone, my four steps are, first, I want to explain exactly what the task is, how it should be done, what my expectations are. Uh, Here's a checklist, all that kind of thing. The D stands for demonstrate. Now you watch me do it so you can really see how I want it to come across. The G is for guide. Now you watch them, let them show you how they're doing it. You can make sure they're not like cutting corners or taking unnecessary steps that are slowing them down. They're doing it the way that meets your expectations. 
And then the last E is empower. So now that we've gone through, I've explained it, I've demonstrated it, they've I've guided them, um, they've shown me that they can do it. Now I feel confident that I can empower people. The problem some entrepreneurs work is they go right from explain to empower. Like I told her how to do it and then she just didn't do it the way I thought. Well, then what happens is the trust is broken because I skipped those two middle steps of demonstrating and guide. I went right from explain to empower. And now I take the task back and I just do it myself. And now I'm back to killing my productivity and my personal relationships are suffering. And I skipped going to the gym because I had to close the gap for someone that didn't do what I asked them to do only because I wasn't really good in how I asked them to do it. Does that kind of make sense? Absolutely. And, you know, in this industry, a lot of us are working with part-time employees. So this is not their full-time job. This is not their number one priority in life. They have families. They have, they're maybe in college or maybe they're in high school. They're in a very busy season of life and that can be distracting. So that's why I think it's so important to have those, you know, documented operating procedures, as you mentioned, have it written down, also have a visual, maybe have a video, it's so important because these people have so many different things going on in their life. Yes. Maybe they do care, but maybe they just can't physically retain all of that information for a job they're only performing four hours a week. Yeah, so exactly. That you know, so we important. have, so you and I live close to each other, um, although we met through this internet crazy world and we have a place, a coffee shop here called Tim Hortons. So you're you know, friends here on the East Coast or the Northeast probably have heard of Tim Hortons or in Canada, but it's basically a coffee shop. But like most of the people there are probably what, maybe 16 to 20 years old. It is not their passion. It is not their lifelong career. You know, somebody's working at the drive-thru today. You never see him again. Lots of turnover. But the key is to have systems and really clear expectations so that, you know, you sort of accept the fact that this person is probably not going to be here forever. I wish they would be, you know, especially if they're good. I'm going to do all I can to keep them here. But I have to recognize this might not be their dream career. So how do I make the most of it for them while they're here so that they can make the most of it for me? And, and that clarity and treating them with trust and respect and um, creating that sense of teamwork, you know, they'll always look at you fondly and say, you know what, I learned so much when I was going to college and working at the place, you know, center uh, uh, on the weekends, you know, and it was just a great experience for them. And, and hopefully they'll refer their friends to you and that kind of thing, because once word is on the street that you're a great place to work it makes, you know, finding people a lot easier. And I would rather hire somebody that, you know, someone else knows and and they have, you know, personal experience with than someone like kind of cold off the street. Yeah, absolutely. Our number one referral place that I always went to for new employees was our current employees. And yes. I'm so thankful that I am still in touch with almost every single employee that we had at our space. I was in one of their weddings recently this past year, oh, even though we've been closed so nice. for several years. Um, I had my first ever employee back from 2015 on the podcast recently to kind of talk about some shortcomings, you know, as a new manager. So I am so thankful that I've been able to stay connected, but it wasn't easy. And I definitely made a lot of mistakes along the way, but. Well, listen, that's how you learn. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly. how everyone learns. And I do training for a living, right? But Training is not always the best way to learn. The best way to learn is by doing it and making mistakes. I mean, if you think about the things that you do really well today, it's probably because you made a mistake somewhere along the way and you said, I'm never going to make that mistake again. I'm never going to do that again. And now I do it a better way. And, and sometimes, again, as entrepreneurs, it's hard because you're like, I can't let my people make mistakes because if they make a mistake, my business is at stake. Well, you never want to be in that place, right? Your job as an entrepreneur and as a leader is you need to give people space to learn and to try things and yes, to fail, but you have to create like a safety net so that their failures are really learning opportunities and they don't have a negative impact on your business. But, you know, that kind of brings me to that third personality trait besides the perfectionism and the trust. The third is worry. There are um, a lot of entrepreneurs are just worriers by nature. So, you know, if you're a worrier, if it's like two in the morning and you're like laying there with your eyes wide open because you're thinking about the million things that you're worried about at, at work, um, Worry is like breathing. I can't tell you to stop worrying. I can't tell you to stop breathing. Like you can't just like take a break from it. If you're a worrier, 
you know it, like that anxiety is, is, is within you. Um, what you might not recognize is it could be slowing you down. It could be slowing you down from making decisions that'll positively impact your business. It could be slowing you down from taking action to, to grow your business the way you want to grow it. You might be losing opportunities. If you have a team, your worry might be driving them crazy because you're micromanaging everything to death. But worry is a really challenging thing. And I can't really teach you how to just not worry about it. In fact, if somebody told you not to worry about it, you'd be like, eh, I don't like them because I'm always going to worry. You have to think about kind of how do you bring your natural worry down um, so that when you're going into situations, you're, you know, you've sort of dialed it back as much as you can. And really the best ways to do that, um, well, there's actually a million ways. I'll, I'll send you a link you could put in the show notes. I have this little freebie called 20 Ways to Keep Calm and Carry On. And it's just everything from prayer and exercise and eating right and finding hobbies, finding these outlets to sort of bring your worry down so you're not casting your worry upon everybody that's working for you or you're not letting it hold you back from taking the action in your business that you want to take. I think that's such a great point. And it's so funny because as you're talking, I'm kind of going through like the different seasons of business that I was in. And I remember, you know, when I got a Google review and it was negative, how I responded to that and how I acted after had, yes, a lot to do with what was happening in my business, but it also had a lot to do with what was going on with me mentally. If I was yeah. already in a bad place, if I was already, you know, on the brink of losing it, that just sent me way over the edge. But if I was in a good place, if I was taking care of myself, if I was really confident in how my business was going, you know, it was just one little blip on the radar. So I think that's a really good point to bring up is because, you know, a couple of times, I'm not going to lie again, we all make mistakes as we're being honest here. Yes. A couple of times we got those Google reviews and I immediately went into panic mode and it caused a lot of chaos amongst my team. And a big mistake that I see a lot of owners make, especially brick and mortar owners make, is they get this negative feedback or they get a negative comment or they get a negative review and they immediately side with that customer regardless of yeah. the situation. And then their team feels really betrayed and not really protected. Is that something right. that you see a lot as well? Well, you know, it's, that's such a good point because when you look at your Google reviews um, or any comments you get from your customers... It's hard to interpret them if you have nothing to compare them to. So go back to earlier where I said, you know, we set certain kinds of expectations for, you know, for our team, for our for our facilities, for our organization. This is how we want things done. There might be somebody that complains about something that you've intentionally said, I don't want to do it that way. You know, and there's a lot of, and I'm, I'm a big fan of like listening to your customers and responding to what they want and that kind of thing. But sometimes like, okay, I, this is not how I want to run my facility. I'm not going to have to try to make everybody happy because then I'm not going to make anybody happy. Like I need to be clear on this is the kind of organization that we want to be. And as long as we meet those standards, it's all good. Now, if somebody expresses a concern or, or complains about something that we know we've talked about as an organization a million times, like that customer was right. This is how we want to do it. And we let them down. Now I can go back to that framework about having a difficult conversation with someone. Look, here's our expectation. We talk about this all the time. This is what happened with this particular customer. We recognize mistakes happen. How do we keep it from happening again? Right? How do we fix it with this one customer? What's our, um, you know, situation or our process for rectifying it with that particular person who complained. But then how do we keep this from happening again? Because the picture on the wall or our values that we've defined for our organization or the ways that we want customers to experience us that we've put on paper, we know we didn't stick to those in this particular situation. I think sometimes too, it isn't always a failure in a person. Like that's one of the hard things to get over when you're leading a team is like, if someone complains it's really easy to point the finger at the person who made the mistake. Push yourself to say, where is the failure in our process that set that person up for failure? What was missing in how we do things, either you as a leader or process-wise for your organization, that allowed that to go wrong? Is it, again, a lack of expectations? Is it a lack of training? Is it a lack of reinforcement by catching people doing things right? 
is it a stupid policy that we have in place? Like that always drives me crazy. You know, how many times have you been disappointed at a, at a store you shop at because they've got some stupid policy that doesn't let this poor person, you know, deliver in a way that you'd want, you know, that experience to be. What process has broken in our organization that allowed that failure to happen? And how do we sit down as a team to fix it? Because then people know that you're treating them fairly that you trust them, you have confidence in them, you think they know what they're talking about. Let's get together, be open, have a conversation about this failure and fix it. That's such a good point. And I actually have a perfect example for this for anybody listening. If you're looking to kind of put this into, you know, indoor playground terms, one of the biggest complaints that we used to get all the time, whether it be in a Facebook group or whether it be in a Google review or just in a follow-up survey from one of our parties, when we were first in operation, we used to get the complaint all the time that, you know, oh, the play area closed 30 minutes before the party was over. I feel robbed. I feel rushed. I feel like that's not fair. And, you know, I had to really go back and say, okay, you know, we have this policy where we close the play area 30 minutes prior. It's for X, Y, and Z reason. You know, we tried it the other way. We tried keeping the play area open, but it resulted in tantrums. It resulted in Host having to pay late fees because we weren't able to turn the space over for the next party. So I knew we had all these reasons. I knew it was a policy we needed to have. But, you know, instead of going to that, uh, you know, team member and saying, oh, you know, this this party host felt really rushed. And she said that you were, you know, really rude when you were asking the kids to get out of the play area. And, you know, the parents were complaining and your team member was, you know, extremely rude to them. And I, I can't tell you how many times this happened. So I finally had to go back and say, okay, something's missing, right? We have this policy, but there's a breakdown in how we're executing it. So I had to do two things. I had to, number one, communicate excessively with our party host before the party. So before they ever step foot in the facility, I had to make it crystal clear. And I mean, in at least five different points of communication, I had to say, listen, this is our party timeline. Our party room close, or excuse me, our play area closes 30 minutes prior, that's going to be exactly this time for you. This is exactly why we do that. And again, I made it so that I had no doubts that this host understood exactly why that was, exactly when it was going to happen. And then number two, we had to give the team member a way to make it easier to actually execute it. So we decided to implement a song. So for example, you know, we would tell the party parent when this song plays, that is it, you know, because parents get distracted. They're playing with their kids. They're mingling with their guests. Yeah. You know, that two hour party window, it goes by really quickly when you're in the thick of it. So, you know, we not only did we start having our team members start giving the host like a 20 minute warning, we had like a cue. Okay. When this song plays, that means that the play area is closed and we let people know ahead of time. Yeah, And, you know, immediately our team felt like they had this burden lifted off of them. And we were able to execute this policy a lot better. Our customers were happier and we never got that complaint again. So I think that's a perfect example of exactly what you said. But unfortunately, it took me way too long to find that disconnect. And, you know, you mentioned earlier that a lot of times we have these policies and we do these things because we've made mistakes before. And that's actually why I have my entire business coaching Play Cafe owners, because I've made all these mistakes. Yes. I want to make sure that you know, these new indoor playground owners don't have to make the mistakes that I made before they're able to say, okay, you know, I want people to go into their business knowing, okay, if you have a policy, this is how you have to execute it. This is how you have to make sure. And does it catch every single mistake that people are going to make? No, but does it make them, you know, have a heck of a lot easier time than I did? Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm yeah. so glad that you brought that up. I know. And that's the thing, like we, again, go back to, it's time to hire someone when you know you're not investing in your own personal growth and wellness, right? Like you really need to keep learning. You need to keep investing in your knowledge. You need to connect in your industry with other professionals because it just expedites that, that process of being the best organization that you can be, whether it's learning from someone else's mistakes or seeing the best practices that our other people are putting in place or hearing what are other organizations doing that you might not even want to do it that way, but it's good for you to know like what's happening out there so you can frame your own thinking. And that's like one of the best things I find about our, you know, the leadership development program 
programs that we offer is that people come together from different organizations, not even the same industries, and they sit back and they learn from, from each other and think like, wow, like I never thought of doing it like that, but that would work in my organization as well. Absolutely. So that's a perfect actually transition into kind of wrapping this episode up. So if anybody is looking to invest in their leadership skills and learn something new, where can they learn more about you and what you offer? Oh, thank you so much for asking. So you can go to my website anytime. It's workignited.com. That's my um, my my business name. You'll find all kinds of resources there to create a great workplace. We actually have a leadership development program called Lead Ignited. And it starts with a deep dive, thinking about your traits, your characteristics. Are you that perfectionist? Are you the warrior? What's your level of trust? Um, you know, what are the the natural strengths that you bring to the table, what's going through your head as you're a leader, um, and how are you communicating with your team, kind of putting your leadership hat on um, every day to be you know, right on message and really thinking about other people and what they need to hear. Then we go through uh, more mechanical kinds of things like how do you create a real strategic plan for your organization? What's your long-term strategy and how do you make sure you're spending your time working on those important things, but also that the people working for you, even if it's just one person, understands where you're going as well. We spend a lot of time on performance management techniques, building accountability, um, building teamwork, managing change. So if you know, you're know uh, you an entrepreneur who's saying, look, I need to kind of add leadership to my toolkit or just you know looking for some quick uh, ideas for how do I put good leadership processes in place, team processes in, in place in my business, Lead Ignited is a great way to do it. So again, you can just go to my website, workignited.com and you'll find it right there. All right. Perfect. Oh, and I think I promised yes. a 20% off discount for your members. So I'll make sure that we have a coupon code that they could put in as well. Okay, perfect. And all that information can be found either in the show notes if you're listening or in the video description if you are watching. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for joining. This was such an actionable and insightful interview. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. All right, that wraps up my conversation with Amy Pearl, the founder of Work Ignited. So if you have any additional questions about hiring or outsourcing or growing and maintaining a team, please let me know, DM me on Instagram. I would be more than happy to do more episodes on this topic because as I talked about in the beginning of this episode, it is something that is so grossly underestimated by people entering the indoor playground industry, myself included. So I know we could all use a little bit of help in this area. So again, if you have any specific questions, please let me know. I would love to create more content that's going to help you move your business forward. All right. Have an amazing day. I will see you right back here on Monday. Monday.